Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Women's Football Podcast here on Switch Sport with Ross Thorpe and me, Josh Samuels. And we're very pleased to be in the company today of the current assistant manager of Coventry United Ladies, Katie Moran. A very warm welcome to you, Katie. Good afternoon. We're going to come on to your career in just a second. But before we do, let's just go right back to the beginning. So talk to us, Katie, about your childhood, both in a more general sense, but also with your earliest memories of football. Yes, I think my my earliest memories of football was, I think, just out in the back garden with my brothers. I've got uh, a twin brother and two older twin brothers as well. Um, We're all just keen footballers. And at any point, we were just glad just to get out in the garden, kick a ball around. Um, I think annoy the neighbours a little bit with uh, kicking the ball over the fence. But I think that's when it all started, really. And then we kind of just progressed forward. And then we all kind of joined the same team that was called Shenley Radford. Um, and obviously they were in the, the older age group. And then me and my twin were in a younger age group. And it, it kind of all just kicked off from there, really. So what was your first foray into football? Was it that your family had a particular team that they supported or was it something that you and your brothers just kind of got into by yourselves? Um, I think it was just we all kind of loved football. Um, my dad was obviously still is a keen football fan um, and we kind of all just fell into it and it was just something that we all enjoyed and it was all something we had in common that we could go out on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon go and play football and kind of all be together as a family and enjoy it that way and as a young girl obviously uh, we've spoken about this on many a women's football podcast that women's football has only really come to the fore in the last decade or so so a lot of girls growing up may have wanted to become a professional footballer but kind of in the guise of playing for the men's team so at what point did you really consider being a professional women's football player it wasn't until I think it was probably around 15, 16. It, it was as late as that. Um, when I started playing football at eight, uh, there wasn't very many girls' football teams around and it was quite scarce. It was going on in the background, but you couldn't say that women's football was a force back then. It was more of a hobby and just flitting around. Men's football really did take the focus. So I probably wouldn't say, I mean, even when I was at um, a centre of excellence, it was it was pushing on, but it wasn't quite where it is today. So I, I would say it was late, probably 15, 16. And then obviously when I got older, it obviously it grew, the game grew. And you were just mentioning before about joining Shenley Radford, where you said that you were the only girl on the team. Uh, did you consciously try and outperform both your brothers, I suppose, and the rest of the team? Or was it just a case of, of personal self-improvement regardless of what everyone around you was doing I think I think there was always a healthy competition between obviously siblings it was just that that good rivalry that we used to have um but it never turned into any more than that I think I was just glad just to get out on the pitch and obviously I had my brother as well so that was nice to play football with him and it was nice for mum and dad obviously to have two children playing the same football team that could watch at the same time and before the show you were saying that when you were facing up to opposition where often you were the only girl amongst both sides that you were being singled out because you were perhaps perceived as being a weak link in the team. Was that a motivating factor for you? And do you think that that ended up becoming a defining characteristic of you as a player? Yeah, I guess. I mean, turning up on a Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, you used to hear the whispers. As I said earlier, that there's a girl on the team. Like, I wonder what she's like kind of thing. And you could you could clearly hear their apprehension 
I mean, they clearly thought that I couldn't kick a ball or run or do anything football-related. Um, so I suppose, yeah, it did give me that little bit of an edge to go and prove a point. But I, I don't think at that age it would it steer me too much because at that point all I wanted to do was play football. It obviously motivated me to do well, but it didn't play a huge factor, I don't think, at that point. But potentially later on in my career it probably did. And do you think the fact that women's football as a whole, nationwide and worldwide, is becoming more popular and even men are really becoming engrossed with it when it comes to, let's say, the Lionesses doing really well at the World Cup, for example, and even, you know, other international tournaments, that that stigma around girls playing football, even if there's one girl playing in a boys' team, that becomes lessened because the idea of girls playing football isn't such an alien concept anymore. Oh, the, the World Cup's helped. Like tremendously, even I mean, our setup in the UK, the the Super League One and Championship, it's come on leaps and bounds. It's only obviously propelled girls to think, well, actually, we can have a career in football. Um, you're talking ten, fifteen years ago, that that would never have been an option, and you'd still have people doing full time jobs and then going to train and playing weekends. Whereas now, it's it's a it's a realistic career that girls can have. Looking up to think, well, if I'm good enough, I can go and earn. A decent wage and have a, a good career for 10-15 years or so. And let's just put the shoe on the other foot for a second and hypothetically say that there's one boy playing in a team of, of all girls including the opposition. Do you think that that boy would face the same adversities even though football is traditionally a boy's sport or do you think that because times are changing now that the, the scenarios and the situations would be a lot different and actually it would always be akin to the environment that we'd be seeing with you know nowadays with one girl being in an all boys team um I, th- I think there would be uh an opinion about it i don't think uh the boy would get as much adverse comments as what girls did back when i was eight years old it wouldn't be frowned upon and i don't think he'd get judged as much as what um, us girls did back when we were younger. And do you think then that that links to almost a, and I don't want to get too political here, but kind of a a background root of, of sexism in the game? That it, it might not even be a conscious thing, but just subconsciously thinking that girls shouldn't really be, really be playing football and the fact that you don't think that the same adversities would be there if a boy were playing, that that kind of feeds into that notion. Oh, 100%. There'll still be uh, men out there now, boys that that still probably think that girls and women shouldn't play football and that it, it is a man's sport. Um, I just think it's important that we, we try and outweigh that with keep producing talent, keep putting on really good World, World Cup shows, bringing through great talent through Centre of Excellencies. I think slowly but surely that kind of mentality will whittle out, I'd like to think. Um, I don't think you'll get it get rid of it completely because obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinion but I'd like to think that the balance would shift um, and it is shifting I think it would just take a little bit of time and again something that's been a recurring theme when we've been speaking about these kind of themes on the women's football podcast is that the best way to really answer these critics and these skeptics is just by keeping women's football at the fore and by considering its successes would you agree with that yes I mean I've spoken to a lot of people um, and their first comments are always that women's football, it's too slow, um, we don't look fit enough, we're not agile enough, we don't have enough power. 
Whereas I think we've we've probably proved that over the last probably five to six years that now we've we've some players have gone full time. Um, our game is evolving. We're getting quicker. We're getting stronger. We're getting faster. Um, so we can also show that with the right tools to help us, we can show that women can play football to the level as men. Um, obviously, there's going to be some differences just due to genetics, but we're we're going in the right direction, and we're we're obviously proving that point that we can be better and we can also be treated the same. And I suppose in a slightly parallel situation to the one that I proposed earlier, if a girl of, let's say, eight years old, like you were at the time, were to follow the same path of being the only girl in a boys' team in 2020, do you think that she would be facing the same hostilities as you did? Or do you think that, again, because of the success and the popularity of the women's game, which is ever-growing, that actually that would be lessened still? It would be lessened. I mean, I've, I mean, my nephew plays football and they've got a girl in the team and she receives the highest praise every game. Um, I rarely hear any parent say, oh, it's a girl playing football. They, they kind of see it as a normal now, if we can use that word. Um, and it's, it's not a shock to them, whereas back 20 years ago, it was a shock because girls they obviously thought that girls shouldn't be seen on a football pitch so I mean I think it's fair to say Katie and when we were doing our research for the show and you know we look at images that we can put up to promote the show anybody who's never seen you play um, maybe should have a quick look on Google because I think every picture I had was was you either just about to fly into a tackle or post coming out of the tackle and in some of the some of the uh, the pictures there was a, a yellow card being brandished by the referee because you certainly don't hold back when it comes to the, the physical side of the game. You know, when you were playing back in the early days, was that something that just come out of you naturally? Or, you know, because I think people make a lot about the fact of, oh, a girl playing in a boy's side and all of that. That's still happening today. And I believe that will still happen in 10, 15 years' time. Um, but you, you come out of it with merit and you come out of it to go on and have a, an outstanding career that some of them lads that might have been mocking you, so to speak, they didn't. So, from your point of view, was that always from an early age because you did have three brothers and you really did have to try and look after yourself from such an early age? Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it just it gives you the, the little edge. Um, I mean, there, there wasn't always competition with brothers, but it was it was healthy. We, we kind of all always kept each other in check. Like we, there was no no nonsense, so to speak. And like my dad was the same. So we were kind of brought off to be kind of mentally tough and regardless of what's been put in front of us we can always have a go and as long as we have a go and do our best then that's kind of good enough so Katie from the point of view of when you hear people asking like oh you know boys playing oh sorry girls playing in a boys team and all of that and knowing that the environment you've come through over the years where you've experienced it firsthand yourself you've played with and against some of the best players in this country that a lot of males couldn't even lace their boots and you know, I, I was watching something on Twitter earlier about England at the World Cup and all of that, and I think the game's come so far. At any point, does it get frustrating where you hear people talking about, you know, sexism in football and the fact that girls are playing in boys' teams? Because, as you alluded to, if you're your nephew's side, there's a girl who plays, and that, girls are still playing in mixed football now, and that will probably go on for 15, 20 years. Do you think it's just a case of, we should just be looking at people as, as footballers rather than a, a women's footballer or a male footballer. Yeah, agree. I think you kind of have to remove 
the gender from it, I think that's probably a, a, a good a good place to start. Um, obviously, the, the people who've got their opinions that probably aren't in line with what we think, we kind of, I think we just need to stop fueling their fire. Um, I mean, we see it all over Twitter. Uh, something uh, positive comes out of women's football and there's always the, the Twitter trolls that try and stamp it down and put their... their sexy views on it really and you'll still see people say like you belong in the kitchen uh what you're cooking for dinner tonight where's the ironing board that kind of stuff um and it's just probably we just need to stop fueling them and not respond to them because hopefully they'll get bored because we're bored of them so i'm hoping that they'll get bored of us ignoring them at some point maybe one of them should be brave enough to go into a 50 50 tackle with you and see the outcome of that to be fair because that'd be quite amusing i think okay well just on that point really and you were saying that it would be quite a nice idea that sort of wipe out the names women's football and men's football and just have footballers but on the flip side women's game and the men's game are separate and is it not also quite nice to appreciate what the women's game is is achieving because what women's football is doing for for young girls and for career prospects in football is, is so magnificent but is it not also right that we appreciate that there are differences between the women's and the men's game yeah as you said there's, there's definitely two sides to the coin and that you, we don't want to ignore how far uh, women's football's come and kind of uh, brand it under one umbrella if you want to put it like that um, yeah so we, sh- we should promote it we should be proud of it because I'd like to think in another 10-15 years times we've we've taken another step forward and that we can look and say like women's football look how far it's come in yes it's probably a long period of time but it's growing as long as it keeps growing I think I think women's football will keep on striving. We are going to move on to talking about your time at Leafield Athletic and this was from all accounts really your your first steps into a a proper football club setup Uh, and you've spoken about it being a smaller family club do you think it was better to have that kind of grounding as opposed to going straight to, a, let's say, a Birmingham City or an Aston Villa early on? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, um, obviously, I always had the, the comfort of potentially my brother being in the team. Um, he was always there, training his match days. And obviously going into an alien environment where I, I didn't I didn't know anyone. Um, I didn't know anyone in women's football, really. So it was kind of, it was unknown territory. So it was... It, it wasn't a risk because I always knew that I wanted to play football. It was just how I'd step into that environment and how I'd get on. And obviously playing an all-girls football team is very different to what I was used to at that age. And it seems to me that the fact that so many of your teammates went on to have fantastic careers in the women's game as well, that whatever they were doing at Leafield was clearly working. So obviously I'm assuming you're going to be telling me that the calibre of, of teaching, not just on a football level, but also the way that they, they kept you grounded as people, was so high. Yeah, they're, they're very good. I mean, the the couple of years that I was there, um, they, they as you said, they cared for us as people, not only players. They turned up and they'd always ask, if you're OK, how's your day been? And even at that age, it was, it was kind of a comfort. Um, and even looking at the club later on, I think it must have been about 10 years later, they were still bringing players through the system and still playing with the first team that had really good technical and nitty-gritty players that would... I think they went very close to win the league one year because they'd managed to bring through a crop of players that 
probably carried through their morals, their their ways of playing, that kind of thing. So as a, as a club, they've they've got it spot on. I think they probably still do that today. And when you see players that you played with at that time, whether as they've progressed during their professional careers, do you see similarities between those players? And you can immediately spot that somebody's had that kind of schooling. Uh, weirdly, yes. <laughs> um, it just seems that we've we kind of had the the edge we've got that little bit of edge about ourselves because we never kind of got given everything um obviously we're a team that we're growing um and as you said we come up against the probably the Aston Villas the Birmingham's that have had teaching way longer than what we had um and some weeks we did get thumped but we never took it personally it was kind of all experience and I think that experience obviously allowed us to grow and then when we were older we could use our experiences to our advantage. And during that time at Leeford, were you constantly on the, the lookout for new outlets to try and progress that career? Or was it a case of just waiting for the right opportunity to come to you? No, I, I, I mean, from memory, I don't think I remember looking elsewhere. It was kind of, I was, I was really enjoying my football. Um, like I enjoyed going, I enjoyed playing. And I think it was only when I went to, I was at secondary school that, someone kind of said to me, um, you know, you could be at a centre of excellence and that's how it kind of went about. Like, it was it was never sought after. It kind of just happened. So from that point of view, uh, Kate, at what stage, you know, when you were at senior school and people were saying stuff like that to you, at what stage did you look and go, actually, do you know what, I've played against the Villas, the Blues, the West Broms, all of them, and I've held my own against them in order for me to progress my career actually, do you know what, I'm not too bothered about going and stepping up into that environment or was it a little bit daunting the first time you did move away from Leafield to, to I suppose, inverted commas, make a step up but you were just playing against girls that you've been playing against for the last couple of seasons and the only difference is you're now in a different kit? Um, yeah, I think it was daunting. Um, I, think, I think I had a PE teacher to thank for a connection that was made for a centre of excellence. Um, it was Blue Centre of Excellence at the time. That was when the Centre of Excellences were separate to club football. Um, and it was probably uh, the PE teacher getting in contact with someone at the Centre of Excellence say, like, I've got um, a player that I think would, would fit kind of thing. And I, I remember going that night and I, I knew obviously a lot of the players had played against them. It was kind of, it was daunting because they just seemed so familiar with that environment, whereas I was stepping in from an outsider as such. And I was coming into their environment and I think they were unsure of me and I was unsure of them. So it, it was quite a daunting experience. And at that point, though, was there was your longing to, you know, first go in there where, you know, a couple of training sessions in, playing a couple of games, you know, training maybe with different players at a different intensity. At what point did you look and go, actually, do you know what, I'm more than able to cope with this? Was that something that came quite quickly or was that something that was a, a little bit longer to get I mean I'll be, I'll be honest I, I think I got there and it was really nice to play an environment with girls that were a standard and I wouldn't I wouldn't have said I looked out of place um so I, I think I coped quite well with it um and obviously with the coaches at Blues as well that had at the time they were they were driving that as well so I think the environment as well you kind of I mean, I always used to go out as 100%. Like you either give 100% or you give nothing. 
and I was saying when I was younger, so I think whichever training session was put in front of me, I'd, I'd never kind of hide. I'd always try and give my best and do my best. And at the time, it, it was good enough. And how pivotal do you believe the, you know, the kickabouts in the garden with three brothers playing you know, in, a, in a boys' team from the outset of your football career? How key do you think that was? Because potentially you were going into an environment at Blues with players that, you know, technically and tactically albeit still young, would have been at a level because they've been in a C of E for you know, a couple of seasons, whereas you've come through the grassroots environment. But when you look back on that now, are you kind of glad your career took that path? And do you see the benefit for young girls playing you know, boys' football? Because when they do step up, you know, where they might struggle technically and tactically, where you can work on that kind of stuff, the physical, the social, the psychological aspects of the game is already there because you've been playing at probably a, a higher intensity in the boys' game than probably what you was with when you've gone into girls' football. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad I took the path that I did, and I think having three brothers it, it manned me up a little bit quicker as well, um, if that can be used as a term. Um, I, I was I was never scared really of going out on the pitch and. People used to say that I was, I was always too aggressive, but it was it was always a level that I'd I'd got to. And I think stepping onto the pitch and having that level of kind of aggression and mental strength, it probably allowed me to get to the level I did. I think without that probably a little bit of edge that I had, um, I probably wouldn't have got to the level that I had. And and for someone again still fairly young in their football career, you know you've gone from playing with Shenley Radford and Leefield to now stepping up into Blues and playing against some of the top teams in the country, not just locally, but nationally. Again, was that something that when you woke up on a Sunday morning, you just had a real buzz about it because you were so grounded and grateful from where you'd come from? Or did it still get a little bit like, should I be on the same pitch as girls, potentially from a, an Arsenal, a Liverpool, a, a Man United, so to speak? Um, I kind of just got used to it. Um, the 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 telling tale was always uh, we used to have uh, centre of excellence tournaments, which was held. I think I think it was at Coventry Universities where you'd get all the centres together. And you'd have like a massive tournament. Obviously, scouts would be there, um, and essentially you'd be playing against the best girls in the country. Um, and at that point, believe it or not, I used to score a lot of goals, and I actually got I think it was top goal scorer for that tournament. And I've never scored that amount of goals ever again, so I must have been doing something right. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got to be honest, in all the years I've ever seen you play, I think I've seen you score one goal. So, but, um, no, and again, I just think it's really, it's really good for people who have not seen RTC or C of E football that when you step up from grassroots football to then going and playing in you know, some of the best junior grounds in the country, it's not just like getting up on a Friday and then getting up on a Saturday, it's two totally different worlds. And again, I think it does take a special kind of character to to not let that overwhelm them because it can be quite a daunting task. And like you said, uh, I, I was surprised you haven't told us that you scored so many goals in that tournament before. We'd have definitely got that question in earlier than now, I think, to be fair. I think I've got the trophy somewhere. <laughs> well, as you were saying that you were seeing Leafield as the, I guess, the springboard for progressing your career and you certainly made that next step as you joined the Centre of Excellence at Coventry City so what was it about Coventry that really attracted you? Um, I think I obviously knew I needed to make that step up at that point it was 
so when it was separate club and centre of excellence, uh, at one stage I was playing both, which you, you, which we could do. Um, and then they kind of said, well, no, no, we can't do this. We need to go with a centre of excellence with Birmingham or you need to go and play full-time with Coventry. And at, at that point, uh, I'd kind of got a relationship with the, the Coventry girls that I was I was more at home with them. And I, I don't regret that decision. Obviously, Blues went on to do some great things, I think. But Coventry, I was, I was really at home with it. Um, I had a couple of friends there. Um, I also had a couple of enemies as well, which was uh, which was interesting when I turned up at the first training session. But we soon come to realise that we all wanted the same thing and we all kind of all got on with it. Well, this talk about enemies is getting me intrigued now. <laughs> Shed any light on that? Well, it's, it's obviously in previous games, um, me just being me, going out, all hell leather. You, you kind of, you, you do have a few fracases, let's say, on the football pitch. Um, and a lot of them were with Coventry players. Um, but that's just because we potentially were like-for-like like people. Um, it was all or nothing. And going into tackles, going for headers, it was it was aggressive, it was, it was tough. But I think me taking a step into their environment, I think they'd probably want me on the same team than playing against. And do you think that, that that steely determination is what's held you in such good stead? Because it's, I guess from a personal point of view as well as a footballing point of view, that case of not necessarily aiming to be disliked, but not being afraid to be disliked because it shows your strength of character. Yeah, uh, I think we've all been brought up. I mean, my brother's the same. Like, we, we concentrate on ourselves. We don't worry about too too much what people think, obviously, as long as you're a nice person and you, you do the right thing. Um, if there's people that are out there that just don't like you, I, there's, there's no way that I'm going to go out my way to please them, if, uh, if, if we can put it like that. And so when the time eventually came for, for you to make your debut for Coventry, uh, when Stuart Wilson brought you in for the last couple of games of the season, did you feel that you were ready, not just from a football perspective, but psychologically as well? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, mentally, I was definitely ready. I think I was, I was, I wasn't bigger than the rest of the girls, but I kind of wasn't afraid to use the, the weight that I had to use it to my advantage. Um, but I remember when I first stepped onto the pitch in a women's game, it, I think it must have been an experienced player. I can't remember who it was, but they uh, they soon put me back in my place and hit me hard. And I thought. If this is what it's going to be for the next couple of years, I need to uh, get a little bit better than what, what I was doing. From that basis then, is that something that you've kind of adopted with younger players that you've been playing around? In the sense that if there's some younger players that perhaps are getting a little bit too big for their boots or getting slightly out of line, you're kind of bringing them back into line and saying, hold on a minute, you've got a long way to go before you start reaching this level. Yeah, and I think it, it happens everywhere. I mean, there, there'll be there'll be clubs that... Obviously, we want kids to flourish. We want them to do well, but also we we need to keep them grounded. Um, I mean, I refer to men's football. There's a lot of money flying around in men's football, and probably lads at eighteen, nineteen could get really above their their line with it and go to a direction that potentially would take them away their football. Whereas us as ladies, we we don't have that luxury of a a big weekly wage um, and it'll just come in a way of our demeanour um, potentially getting a little bit big headed um, but certainly in the groups that I've always been involved in uh, we've kind of nipped that in the bud and we, could, we don't really stand for having 
the big I am attitude, if you can put it like that. So do you think when it comes to having those attitudes, because sometimes as examples, I can certainly think of in the men's game, where having that, that big ego, as long as it's managed in the right way, can actually drive that team on to success. But do you think when it comes to the women's game, that, that losing that ego and I suppose playing for the team and not just for the for the self, that is really what, what drives the team forward in every case? Yeah, I think there's there's got to be a balance of having... Uh, players with big egos and you've got the players that are more grounded that just want to get on with it um, there's there's definitely room for those top players but as you said it's it's using it in the right manner and the right way and allowing them still to perform to their best level without becoming arrogant, I've, I've never been a kind of fan of an egotistical arrogant player um, they're, they're just not my type of players so what are your thoughts on a player like, let's say, Megan Rapino, who I think is the ultimate example of, of a Marmite women's player? I mean, she does think some things that I like. She's promoting women's football. She's she's doing all that kind of stuff. She's getting it out there. I mean, she's fought for gay rights, that kind of stuff. Um, but also the, the scenarios that she shouldn't probably get involved with that probably tarnish her with a bad brush. Um, but as you said, it, she she's like Marmite. You, you love her or you hate her. So let's just use that comparison really between men's and women's football for a second because again in the build up to recording this podcast you've mentioned that you were fortunate for the grounding you'd had playing with boys and playing in boys teams because you felt like and in your words it had given you the chance to man up. Do you think that that was an advantage both from a physical sense and a mental sense when it came to playing against and even with other girls who hadn't had that formative experience in their early years yeah I think at one stage there was um a period where people would say that they could tell girls that had come from a a boys team had played in a boys team for a couple of years and those who had come from a centre of excellence that potentially were a little bit softer and a little bit more technical and that they didn't really want to get involved in the the physical side of the game, whereas obviously in in boys football, like boys, I think are naturally more aggressive, and it just it happened naturally. It wasn't forced upon. It just kind of happened during the game. Whereas girls that potentially I've played with that have come through a centre were a little bit softer and a little bit nicer when they played football. Let's just talk about when you actually made it into the Coventry first team. Just describe both your debut and your your first season and and what it was like being in, I guess, when I say a top team, I mean a team that was really being run in the kind of way that you would want to be playing. Just talk to us about that. It was was, was just a massive step up. I think at 16, it's kind kind of always a a make or break for some um, because a lot of 16-year-olds either go on to kick on and have a great career or you hit 16, 17 and you don't quite know what path. Um, so I was quite fortunate that I, ha- I had a path to go to that I was chosen to kind of kick on with my career. Um, it was all, it was daunting. Um, stepping into a, a side that had senior players that had played for Coventry for, for years um, and they drove the standards. So you, you kind of always knew that you had to meet those standards and you didn't want to fall below that because you knew you'd be pulled on it. Uh, it, it, it was exciting as well. I think at 16, you always want to play at the highest level you can. I think at 16, I was doing that and 
playing against seasoned pros that potentially weren't brilliant technically, but uh, players who could read the game really well. Um, and they just they they just knew where to be at all times, and that kind of showed me a different side of the game that the technical aspect wasn't everything, um, and that you need to have the the game knowledge around it as well while stepping up. So yeah, it was uh, it was it was an eye opener. Well, eventually came the chance for you to push for promotion, uh, but unfortunately you just missed out on that um, against in that game against Leicester. Just tell us about what the atmosphere was like, both going into that final match and the, the expectations or the anticipation, and also the disappointment that was surrounding the entire team afterwards. Uh, that season was it was a big season for, for Coventry. Uh, it kind of had a crop of players that, some that had reached the peak, some were, re- like, some were coming through, and then others that had been there for years holding the team together, and it was... It kind of the, the time felt right. Um, obviously, there, there was a lot of nerves surrounding the group, um, but going into the game, obviously, we, we wanted to win. We we had opportunities to win the game. I think we missed a penalty. I think I missed a free kick. I think I missed an, another shot as well. There, there was things during that the game that didn't quite go our way, which kind of told once we'd uh, we'd lost the game. And I'm going to ask you this. To, to try and be as neutral as possible when I ask you this. Do you think that, in your heart of hearts, you deserved to get promoted after the season you'd had? Or do you think that missing out was probably a fairer reflection of how the season had gone for you? Being brutally honest, if if you're going to win the league, you, you win it. There's there's a reason for it. I, don't, I think we just fell short, unfortunately. And as harsh as that may seem, it's that that's the game of football. If you don't stick the ball in the back of the net, you're not going to win a game of football. And we didn't do it that day, regardless of how well we'd produced over the season. Um, if you're kind of not going to produce the goods when it when the time comes, then obviously you, you haven't stepped into the role and you, you haven't done enough, in, in my opinion. And as far as I'm concerned, that's an attitude that every professional sports person should have. For you personally, do you think that's why you've been able to succeed? Because you've had that mentality of winning is effectively the only option and anything other than that is a complete failure? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say winning's everything. Uh, obviously, it's nice to win. It's nice to win things. Um, but if, if you're going to lose, there's, there's a way and means about it. Um, losing isn't nice. No one likes to lose. But there's there's ways to potentially lose a game, and going back to this last game, if we were that good during the season, potentially we'd have got the points on the board that we'd missed out on in other games, rather than leaving it to the last game of the season. Um, so we can reflect onto games that potentially we we haven't performed to the level that we should have, and we've missed out on those points that would have proved invaluable uh, in that last game of the season. Just a quick word on the coaches you'd had at both Leafield before that and then at Coventry. Was there a visible, noticeable difference in the standards and, and the way that you were trained between Dan Hurden, who you had at Leafield, and then Stuart Wilson and Paul Cudby, who you had during your time at Coventry? I, th- I think at Leafield it was it was it was just it was just good football knowledge. Um there was no airs or graces about it. It was Right, this is the game of football. We do the simple things well. We'll do well. 
Um, and obviously, the, the higher you go with Stuart and and Paul, they probably just add that sprinkling of extra detail on how to become a better player, what we can do in different circumstances. So I wouldn't say the foundation of football changed much. It was just the level of detail that was, that was given later on. OK, I'm going to come back a stage now. Uh, I just want to talk about where you've spoke about young players coming into the environment, potentially those that are a little bit ahead of themselves. But show on the other foot about those players that are probably really overwhelmed, really daunting, this, that and the other. Have you seen much in the case of, you know, when you've spoke about when girls and boys get to 15, 16, 17, their life start to take a direction that if you're not fully committed, fully focused, fully disciplined, your football can kind of fall off the edge of a cliff. Have you seen players that in the past have had bags of ability that just haven't decided to take it on where you've thought that's a real shame because they could have had a career? And the flip side... Have you seen players where at 15, 16, 17, you thought, I don't know, ever mentally they can handle it, that have gone on to play, you know, at the top end of the game? Yeah, turns to the first one. There's, I mean, I won't name names, but there's been plenty of players that that have had bags of ability and, I mean, far far greater than what I ever had, but just kind of didn't didn't focus, just found other hobbies and just as you said just fell by the wayside and it it's just it was just a waste um and you, you hear coaches say it all the time just that little bit of focus from the person or their surroundings um they could have gone on and done great things so it's I think it's still happening now um and in response to the the second one um yeah the, there's players that again have bags of ability but potentially are a little bit uh, mentally fragile because I'm not saying this happens everywhere. Um, they may have had everything handed to them. They've never had to to work for it, to kick down doors for it as such. Um, it's kind of the pathways open for them. And then potentially when they hit that corridor where it's make or break and they have a little bit of negativity, that, that can crush them. And it happens in the men's game all the time. Uh, but... In the women's game, I don't think it happens as often. And, you know, again, we, there's been a lot of comparisons tonight between the men's game and, and the women's game. I think it's fair to say that players nowadays at 16, 17, 18 could quite easily be playing, you know, WSL 2, WSL 1 football, definitely National League football, which in the boys' game, you know, or the men's game, you, you have to be really, really at a super level to be... You know, if you look at someone like Jude Bellingham at Birmingham, who's 16, you don't get many like that. So you know when you're when you was a player, but now from a coaching point of view, when you get girls coming into the environment at 16, 17, where you know three points are what matter on a Sunday. I know you say there's ways to lose this, that, and the other, but I think if I spoke to Jay or I spoke to you at two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, your focus would be three points. If a, a young player comes into the environment, how how patient are you with them in that sense, or do you let the players really, if, if you know, if a player's not having a, a great training session or a great game, do you let the players manage that, or as staff, do you go, it's okay, but you've got to understand that our our outcome today is to try and win a game that they probably wouldn't get that pressure at junior football. Um, I think that that's 
got to come from the staff. The driving force will be from staff. Um, you'll obviously have input of, from player to player. Uh, they'll be 100% encouraging that 16, 17-year-old that if they do make an appearance, they're 100% good enough and they're ready. Um, but a staff would be the driving force of that and we'd kind of pick and choose when that when that opportunity would arise. We wouldn't... If we say we're... We're winning three two in the ninetieth minute, and there's ten minutes added time. We wouldn't go and chuck on that sixteen year old expected to go and hold their own. That's that wouldn't be fair on them or the team. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a staff driver. But on the flip side of that, if we're two games to go, those two games aren't really going to reflect anything negative on the league. Of course, give them opportunities give them a run out let them have a taste of what could be for them in the future um that's the only way they're going to learn with the experience and just getting out there and playing football and again you know don't want to overlook you know what you did at Blues and Villa but in your role now at Coventry United you know 12 months ago you'd just been promoted up into WSL2 it was a roller coaster year first year in WSL2 which I think a lot of people thought it would be especially you know, now that there's full-time teams at that level of football, you know, you, clubs like yourself, you're only training three times a week. Knowing that you had some younger players within the group, do you think the fact that this year was a little bit bumpy, that they're going to be so much better for that going into next season and seasons beyond? Yeah, as you said, I think that the roller coaster ride that we all experienced, um, even for the players that have been around for years, I think they can learn from it so the younger players will 100% take a lot from what happened. I mean, it was a tough year for everyone, but I think we'll all take the positives out of it and use that as a driving force this season. Um, but the, the kids we've got, um, I mean, Shannon, for for instance, she's she's a tough little cookie and she's, regardless of who she faces or who we're playing, um hundred percent should be sure that she'll be a driving force, and that everything that happened last season, she'll want to go and prove a point that she's hundred percent good enough, and she's she's ready to go and start every week. Well, let's move on then to your time at Birmingham City, and again, you've you've spoken to us about the fact that a lot of people were a bit sceptical about whether you were good enough to make that that step up to Birmingham. Was there a part of you that shared that apprehension as well? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, at the time, Coventry were playing, I think it was Midland Com, um, and obviously Blues were in the the National League, the highest league that 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 was available at that time. Um, and it, it was daunting because you looked at the players in the Blues squad, and players in that National League at the time, it was they're all England nationals, they're all like experienced players that had been around the game for years. Um, so yeah it was quite daunting and that I guess you can call it a lack of self-confidence even to a certain extent did that end up affecting your performances on the pitch during your early days at Birmingham um I wouldn't say it did I'd, I'd like to think that I managed to use the the apprehension and probably lack of confidence just to go and do the basic things well um Obviously, stepping onto the pitch with better technical players than what I was at the time. As long as I'd done the basic things well, um, 
I was, I was quite happy with that and then I'd just I'd kind of ease my way in I wouldn't I wouldn't say it affected me my performances too much well you followed Stuart Wilson to Birmingham was it the fact that Stuart was at the club that was one of the motivating factors for you to join or could it really have been any club uh, in the National League and, and you'd have taken that step up I, I think I was quite fortunate that um, Stu went to Blues I wouldn't have thought that there was many national clubs looking for me at that point um, so yeah in, in that case I, I was quite fortunate that I was given the opportunity to step up um, and I, I always knew that taking that step up wouldn't uh, wouldn't guarantee me anything uh, it, it could have turned out that I could have played a couple of games and he could have turned around to me and went, look, this level's not quite for you. Um, but um, I'm grateful that obviously that didn't happen. And it must have been nice to have that familiar face at a senior position at the club at that time to, to ease you in. Yeah. Um, again, it's it's we, I'm, I was stepping into the unknown, but I also had a known contact as well. Um so it was nice, but it was never, it was never taken advantage of that I expected to be treated differently. Um, I kind of come in, I just wanted to learn, and being in a dressing room from a Midland Com Coventry point of view, stepping to a National League, uh, Birmingham City team, it was it was vastly different. Like the the atmosphere was uh, a lot different. Well, I've got no doubt that if there's one memory you'll take from your playing career, it's the debut that you made in the top league at the time. So just talk us through your emotions during that day. I was obviously very nervous. Um, I remember, it, I think it was at Redditch United when it was a grass pitch and it was there wasn't much grass on it. And uh, people know me, some, some say my first touch isn't the greatest, which didn't really help on a, a bobbly pitch. Um but yeah, the, the nerves are definitely there, but I just tried to use it as a positive. Um, I kind of knew that this was my, my shot to do something. And I, I rarely scored goals, so to score a goal on my debut was a, a massive shock. And I don't think I scored again that season, to be honest. <laughs> well, certainly starting as you at least meant to go on. Um, but was there a point during those early stages where, where you sat back and, and thought to yourself, I'm doing all right here. And were you ever appreciating just how far you'd come in such a short space of time? Or were you just sort of taking every day as it came and not really taking anything for granted? Yeah, I I never took anything for granted. Um, There wasn't a point of that season that I was was ever comfortable. Um, Even turning up to training was was nervous. Um, Obviously, doing the sessions and being involved with better technical players just hoping that you didn't screw up a drill or miss a shot or do anything that could upset the flow of that um that drill or game so yeah it was it was definitely an edgy time but I think it, it definitely uh, it helped me out um come the later part of my career what sounds good to me is that you seem to at least be embodying those aspects of not wanting to get too big-headed and not too egotistical and that's certainly what you were demonstrating during the early parts of your career so again it's going to feed into that notion of staying level-headed at all times is that what what you would say yeah definitely I think it it just wasn't part of my character I I didn't like being egotistical that wasn't me I'd I'd rather just go about my business quietly um, 
and go that kind of way. Um, obviously, the, there's, there's places in a team for those type of people, but that, that just wasn't part of me. And talking about not having any real point during that debut season where you, you felt comfortable, given your character, was there really any point throughout your entire career wherever you felt completely comfortable? Or was there always a part of you that, that felt ever so slightly on edge that you were always still trying to prove something if not to other people then at least to yourself yeah I, I mean I don't think as a footballer if you if you feel comfortable um I mean this is me personally that you're getting the best out of yourself um there was definitely times uh at Blues Villa there were some very uncomfortable times that I kind of had to keep just digging in and keep going again um, potentially when at times when I didn't want to but I just knew that I had to do that to kick on a little bit in my career I, I didn't want something that had happened to hold me back so I just knew I had to keep driving and keep kicking on Do you then think that having those nerves and I guess playing off them that that has made you a better coach anyway because you understand the apprehensions of the players that you're now bringing up especially the younger players through and then bring them into the first team that you know you can always just be the one that's putting that arm around them and saying look I know what you're going through I was in your shoes once upon a time as well uh, and that then makes it much easier not just for you as a coach but also for the players that you're coaching. Yeah of course um, I mean there's times definitely last season that things probably haven't gone our way and there's, there's people getting frustrated or we're going into a game that's must win Um and you can potentially see a little bit of nervousness in the room, um, and it, we just we just kind of assure them that it, it's natural, it's fine. Use it to your advantage rather than using it negatively. Um, as I said earlier, I think the nervousness gives you that little bit of a, an edge. It just shows you you're ready and that you, you care, and that when you step out on the pitch, you know you, you you're kind of ready for battle. And do you think that your time at Birmingham was your biggest learning curve? Yes, hundred um, percent. If you look at the players that I think were in that squad, there was there was Joe Potter, uh, Sue Wood was in that squad, Faye Cardin, Michelle Hickmark, uh, Danny Bird, Becky Hall, Heather Schuber. There, there was an array of names that had were accomplished at that level. I, I, I made, I think, a, a two-minute appearance in one game. It wasn't my full debut. Um, and I went up for a header. And I didn't call for it. And uh, I remember Heather Schubert shouting in my face to put a name on it. And uh, that was definitely a scary moment because you knew you were playing women's football and that continued for throughout the season. You, you, were, you were constantly pulled up and expected to perform at standard. Well, you spent two years uh, at Birmingham. Were you expecting to spend just two years at, at Birmingham or... Would you have liked to have stayed for longer? At the, t- at the time of the change in the league, when it was going from national to obviously the Super League, I kind of I knew my level and where the club was going and what the league itself was trying to do. Um, I potentially wouldn't have been ready for that step up. Um, I was carrying injuries as well. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that time was the right time for me to, to move on and kind of even I mean it it was a step down but it was a step down that I kind of needed I needed to go and play football whereas 
I could have potentially pinned my hopes on playing at a higher level but sitting on the bench and not being involved, whereas that, that kind of that wasn't for me. So was your departure then very much a decision that came from you as opposed to from the club? Um, I think I think I was ready for the decision from the club. I, I, I can't remember rightly. I think it was kind of it the the path just changed. Um, I think it happened to a lot of players. Like some players went one way, some players went the other. It was quite mutual. Um, but I, I definitely think the time was right. Okay, I'm going to go back a, a little bit in terms of that. So when you were stepping up into Blues and you, you like you mentioned the likes of Joe Potter and some of the great players that you've mentioned you played with. In terms of your preparation, in terms of you know you'd still only be training twice a week, etc. Was you having to do so much more away from football to to get yourself up to the level of the fitness that the girls were? Because I think, like you say, it's fair to say coming from Midland Com up to you know the the top league, there is a difference, isn't there? It's not just technically and tactically. Were you somebody that had to focus more on uh, you know the, the preparation in terms of you know how you conditioned yourself, the work you were doing away from football that you probably didn't have to worry about at Midland Com or have you always been somebody that has done so much more extra anyway? Um, I, I kind of always did something extra anyway. Um, I, was, I was never one to, to put it bluntly to kind of cheat because um, I thought at some point you'll always get found out. Um, definitely stepping up, I found my my condition obviously had to change, um, but training twice a week at that point, um, the training was high intensity and I had to adapt there was no choice about that I either adapted or I'd kind of fall behind um, so having that kind of it pulled me up but I still had to obviously prepare properly um, do the right things off the pitch so yeah I wouldn't say I changed too much but in terms of performing at a higher level that was definitely a help with the uh, the training sessions and then again you know if you look at how far Football's now come from back in those days, like you say, when you were doing two sessions a, a week, so that would probably be a Tuesday, Thursday night, probably not getting home until half, ten, eleven o'clock after, you know, potentially being at work or education all day. Now when you look at when you're at Coventry United, the fact that you have the girls in three nights a week, it's getting so much more professional now outside of the Super League. Do you see that real benefit to that? And from your point of view... How important is it that you keep those three nights a week so fresh? Because by only asking them to do one extra evening a week, that's taking them away from their family, their friends, their work, etc. for probably another three, four hours a week that it can become quite time-consuming. How important as staff do you want to try and keep that as fresh as possible? It's, it's massively important now. You, you, can't, you can't show away from the fact that two sessions... In a week, it isn't enough. Um, as you said, there's, there's teams that train full-time in the same league as ours. So if, if we don't do that extra third night or potentially fourth night, you fall behind and you kind of, you're already starting behind. You're not giving yourself a fighting chance to go and compete week in, week out with those teams that are doing that. Um, but also from a younger age, these players are being given the opportunity to take part in S&C sessions so they're already educated by the time they hit 15, 16 
they're already educated they know what they should be doing what they shouldn't be doing what their nutrition looks like what their week should look like and how much rest they should have so the the older we get the the younger crops that are coming through they're already educated they already know what they should and shouldn't be doing whereas we've potentially got players within our group that weren't born in that era where that existed you kind of did a couple of runs outside you do a few sprints you do old school press-ups sit-ups anything but it was never anything as focused and honed as the the snc sessions they get now so if the girls nowadays they are like you said 14 15 16 that is pretty much the norm for them you know three evenings a week etc if, if you look down the pyramid now at you know the leagues below you're starting to see other teams you know train three times a week it seems to be pretty much coming to the norm do you think in order for for the you know Coventry and the the teams in the championship that aren't affiliated to a, a men's club that can give them open access to all the facilities, whether that be full time or as close to full time as possible? Do you see as we move forward that it may even be that you go to another evening a week because you've got to make sure you're staying ahead of the game from the teams coming from below? Potentially, I think as long as the the time you have for your players um, is good quality time, um, I think you can still get good rewards out of it. Um, potentially adding an extra session in, you might not get the return that you expect. And if the, that session is not good quality and focused, you could be l- losing that little bit of the oomph about it and it kind of just waters down and it becomes a potentially pointless session. Whereas if you've got three good sessions, especially at our level, you know, it keeps them fresh, they're interested. But obviously then on the flip side, you've got clubs that can keep it fresh day in, day out because, they have, as you said, they have the facilities, they've got the back in, they've got all sorts. We can only do the best with what we've got. And I think at this moment in time, we're, we're doing that. We just need to use our time well and obviously keep pushing the players in the right direction. So let's move on then to your time at Aston Villa. First of all, was it strange to then switch to Birmingham's biggest rivals? Uh, yep, um, definitely got a bit of stick from uh, the old man and the family, that's for sure. Um, a lot of the family are, are Blues fans itself, so definitely switching to the the city's main rival was uh, not not a fan in the household. It was a bit like when we spoke to Chloe Jones, she was saying that being a Manchester United fan then joining Liverpool... You have to throw that out of your mind and just focus on on the club that you're at. How did you manage to do that? Well, you you have to. You just kind of ha- you you put it in perspective that you're you're playing for the club and you you're wearing the shirt kind of thing. You can't let external factors affect that because I think if if everyone did that, there'd be uh there'd be a riot, let's say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I just I just kind of got on with it. Um, I never took anything too personally, uh, and just carried on doing what I did week in, week out. Just have another word about Stuart Wilson, because the third time that you've now signed for him at this point. What was it about him? And was it something specific about him that convinced you once again that he was the man you wanted to sign for? And would you say that the relationship you had with Stuart was greater than anyone else, be that player or coach or whoever, that you had during your playing career? I think it, I think it was mutual. I think... He he knew what he was going to get as a player. Um, he knew what I'd bring to the table, and that 
or wasn't going to stray too far from that. So he, he probably knew that consistency was there. He, he obviously started at Coventry and Birmingham. But obviously I also knew the way he operated and what he was working to. Um, I mean, we, we had success at... Well, Neil had, had success at Coventry. Um, at Blues, I think we, we finished decently in the table the first season. And obviously at Villa, it was it was another... A different level. Um, but it was a chance again to potentially go and do something. And again, was it nice to have that familiar face with you to on on that next step of your journey? Almost like you were taking that journey together. Oh uh, yeah, because um, again, st- stepping into Villa was again very daunting. I, I played against uh, a lot of the players uh, from under si- under fourteens, under sixteens, and into open age football. And obviously, you have your battles on the pitch, so everyone was very all very aware of. Uh, who and what players were like and what you'd expect from them. So, yeah, having a friendly face was uh, was was quite nice. Well, let's talk about your maiden season, which, by all accounts, was extraordinary for, for a multitude of reasons. Should you just talk us through that campaign? Yeah, so I think the first season it was... Obviously, Stu was new to the team, I was new to the team, but, but at that point, uh, Villa had a core of players that had been at the club for absolute donkey's years um, and they kind of carried the values of Villa um, I'd say the first part of the season didn't quite go to plan things weren't quite coming together um, it's fair to say that there was a bit of friction between staff and players um, we kind of had frank talks come January just after Christmas break that we kind of if we wanted to do something that season we had to sort ourselves out um, obviously the conversation was a little bit more fierce than that but it was around those lines and then kind of after that we all kind of just kicked on and result just kept coming one after another um, and there was games where we would, we deserved, we didn't deserve to win at all but we got the rub of the green and we'd, we'd come out with a win and yeah so 16 games unbeaten and we won the league and the uh, the county cup at the end of that season. So yeah, it was a fantastic season. And how would you describe your personal role in that change of fortunes? Because it can't be easy for the whole of the team if you're having such poor results. Obviously, morale's going to go down, uh, and it's almost like that uh, chain reaction where the more you lose, the more you continue to lose. So how do you feel that? your personal role in that changing of mentality to start winning matches affected the rest of the team? Um, I, th- I think at the time there was, you know, we, we had some really strong personalities. There was, I mean, uh, Aaron Vaughan, Danny Peck, Carly Davis, Nat Gibson, uh, Tash Merritt. They're, they're all strong personalities that we'd kind of do anything that we need to do to win. Um, and once that kind of clicked because we'd all have the same kind of drive, we knew that we'd do anything to win a game of football and that as long as we were crossing the white line and getting three points, it kind of didn't... We didn't care how we were going to do it. As long as we won it, that was it. Well, I know that you ended up for, uh, for I guess, quite a, a humorous reason, if you like, missing the final game of that season and also the County Cup final. So, just again, just explain why that came to be and how you felt missing out on those games um yeah so normally a season runs up up until end of april uh early may 
um, and my mum had wanted to go and book a trip to Canada to visit um, her aunts and uncles that she hadn't seen for for years. And when we were booking, I kept saying, oh, are you, are you sure that the season will be finished and blah, blah, blah. Um, anyway, we booked it and the, the season rolled on and it kind of just kept edging closer and closer and then games got cancelled for X, Y and Z reasons. And then the game landed on the, the I think three days after I was in Canada, so I, I I knew early on that I was I was gonna miss I was gonna miss that game, um, but obviously not knowing that game would be would turn out the way it did, I felt it wasn't quite a quick kick in the teeth because I know my mother's gonna listen to this, but it, it was disappointing. But the uh, the the girls hundred percent deserved it, and I was. I was cheering in uh, Canada when we did it. I don't want to question at all your professionalism, but the fact that you were going to miss that final, did that end up just naturally making you not necessarily lose motivation, but did it give you less of a a fighting spirit because you were naturally feeling so deflated at the prospect of, of missing that match? No, not really. I think the, the girls at the time, I had such a good relationship with them that I kind of... It, it didn't affect me too much, but one thing that probably did affect me was that I'd never, ever book a holiday anywhere near the season ever again, <laughs> and that still happens now. <laughs> but did you feel an element of guilt towards your teammates for missing out on that final? Because, uh, again, I don't want to understate your role within that team, so the fact that team did obviously go on to win it still, but did you feel guilty for not being able to play your part in that? Not, Not really, because... Again, going back to the type of person I am, um, I, I knew the, the the team as a whole had we had enough to go and win that game, um, and I'd quite gladly like unselfishly take myself away from that. So regardless if I was playing or wasn't playing, I'd have my perception of that game wouldn't have changed. I'd still want the same outcome. Um, obviously, I'd have been delighted to have been there to celebrate and gone through all that, but. Yeah, take myself away from the from the playing side. We we had more than enough to go on and do it, and I was really pleased with the team. So going back to that point in the season where you said, you know, and rightly so, you had a lot of big characters in the group um, whilst you was at Villa. But how pivotal do you think that moment was where you had the strong words and the players were a little bit like, you know what, this isn't good enough? Because... I think it's fair to say, you know, anybody who's been in dressing rooms at any level of football, you know, players take on board, I think, what players say, probably more so than what the managers do. So I think, without wanting to term it as like having a tear-up or stuff like that, but those are the moments where you look and go, that can almost be the light bulb moment, because it's not all, you know, sunshine and roses. You have to have real open and honest conversations and you have to take things right to the edge for it to be sorted out. Was that something that you thought as soon as it happened, do you know what, that's exactly what we needed? Yeah, and I think you said it, the, the open and honesty that we had within the group um, helped that. Um, it also helped that as, as a friendship group, we were we were quite tight and regardless of what said was said on a, a Sunday or during training, it was for the benefit of the team and how we could drive forward. It was never taken personally. Um, so we could say to each other, like, that's not good enough, like, go again next time. And it was never taken as a dig. It was always, 
right, you can do better than that, let's go again. And that I think that happened continuously during that second part of the season where we just drove each other and that I think that produced what, what we did in the end with winning the title. And it's as you say, you've you know, you've you've found the way to win. You found that desire within the group and, and let's be fair, you know, you've played in many teams over the years, you'll have been in many dressing rooms over the years. But unless you've got everybody within the group that is totally on board, that could have easily gone so much the other way, couldn't it, in the sense of if people did take it personally, if people did carry grudges. And for a manager to you know, to manage and 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 work with all of that, I mean, that must be quite strong because those kind of groups and, as you say, friendship circles, etc., they don't come round season in, season out when so many players move on, do they? So in terms of that group of players, you know, and talking about some great people, you know, we've been really lucky to have Gibbo on the show and, you know, we've been trying to get Carly on the show because, again, you've all played at a really good level. Are you still well connected with all that group even to this day now? Yeah, I think obviously we're, we're not as close as we what we used to be because that's just naturally what happens. Like we were training two times a week, playing on Sunday together, spending coach trips together. Whereas, you know, unfortunately we all have to, we grow up and we have lives. But obviously any time we meet, we, we, we kind of, we get on, it's instant, get on. We don't, it's no awkwardness. We kind of, we're all kind of the same people. Um, and I think we all remember that season as a special one. Um, a lot of people would say that's their favourite season. Um, it's probably one of my most favourite seasons ever, um, even though I wasn't there um, when the, the title was lifted. But yeah, the, the girls, um, any time we see each other, we, we, all, we all greet each other with open arms. And comparing that now to when you was at Coventry United, the uh, you know you got promoted and... I know when we had Jay on the show, you was talking about you have to find ways to win. Was there, was there much correlation between that year at Villa and that year at Coventry, or was it quite dissimilar? No, there, there were similarities. I mean, when you've got a team that win a league, there's got to be similarities regardless of what standard you play at. Um, you, you've got to have that little bit of grit and determination. You've got to be tactically aware like there's this, the similarities regardless of what level you play at. I mean, the group that won the league that year, I think they'd they'd been together a couple of seasons before I'd got there, so they'd experienced the the heartbreak of not even making it to that point. So when they won it together, the I think the relief and the happiness to finally get there was probably a moment similar to Villa. It's it's a long road to get there, but when you get there, it's all worth it. And do you think even going back at that point, you know, when you were at Coventry and you missed out on winning the league, um, and then when you was at Blues and, you know, I think by your own admission, it was it was disappointing when you 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 moved on from the football club. At that moment when you'd won the league and it was a case of, you know, we've got the trophy and no doubt being paraded round Villa Park in front of a game when the men are playing. At that moment, did you look and go, do you know what, if my career was to finish tomorrow, I'd be happy with where it's at? Or was there even more drive and determination then to go, no, do you know what, next season, we want to go and try and win the league above? Um, you, you, you enjoy it while you can. Obviously, you touched on the, the parade at Villa Park. Obviously, you, you don't forget those types of memories, but also 
you don't want them to be your last because I think if everyone sat on their laurels and looked back at one game in their whole career, I think you'd get a little bit bored. You you want many games like that where they're exciting and those experiences where you look back and think like, wow, I really did that. Or you look back at photos, you look at all your, your mates that you shared it with. So I always think you've, you've got to keep driving. Um, if you don't drive, you, you fall behind. So yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say that coming from the the league through Coventry, you know, yes, our goal wasn't to win the league. It was to, our goal was to stay in the league and we kind of achieved that. And would that be right in saying, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that summer, did Villa make a change? Did Stuart move on? And then that was when Graham Abercrombie come in or was that the, the season after that as well? Stuart moved on for p- personal reasons and obviously as, as a group, you're always apprehensive to who's going to come in and, we kind of stepped into the unknown together. Um, so, I mean, I, I personally, I, I didn't know Graham, um, but he was a nice guy. Um, and obviously he said people move on at different different times. And I think, I don't think we we lost the spark we had, but it, it just potentially wasn't the same as what it was the season before. And And from that point of view, knowing that it was a new manager coming in, it wasn't Stuart who, let's be fair, you'd had success with him at the clubs you'd been at. From your own point of view, you know, was there a were they chalk and cheese, so to speak, in terms of a you know coaching and management? I know Graham. I don't really know Stuart as well. I know they're both very, very good coaches and very well respected in the women's game. But from your point of view, you know, going into the new league without Stuart, you know. Was there a level of apprehension around, it's, it, you know it's not ever going to be the same because it's a different manager, but are we going to be able to repeat it with these girls and a new manager? And was there any, was there quite an overhaul of new players coming in or did a lot of you just all stay together again? I mean, we all kind of, we, we all stayed together. There was, a, there was a couple of additions. But in terms of going from Stuart to Graham, I wouldn't have said that I was that apprehensive of what was going to happen. You know, it's, it's always going to be tough doing that step up but we were still that group of players um, and that group of players could still drive the force of what we had the season before um, and yet different managers are going to do different things it's it, it's going to happen you're going to have players that like certain things what one manager does and what another management does that's that's just that's just football um, but obviously as you said if everyone's not pulling in the right direction um, you, you're not going to potentially get the best out of the, the team, what you should. Do you feel that there was a lot of, com- from a player's point of view, there was a lot of comparisons as soon as Graham come in because of the success you'd had under Stuart, that, you know, if you go to a game and, you know, like you said the season before, you might have been 1-0 down and won the game 2-1. You know, the following year under Graham, you might have been 1-0 up and lost it 2-1. Was there always that level of comparison or was it just a case of he, he said from the outset, do you know what, this is the regime, this is how I want things to look and we're going to go forward with it? No, I don't think there was. There wasn't too much comparison. We, I don't think it was ever like that. I think it was it was just that us as players, we knew what we could do. Um, and Graham had a, a style where I think he'd, he'd want us to learn um, by trying. So I wouldn't quite say trial and error because that, doesn't sound great but it was it was kind of if something didn't work well what can we do to make it better and 
it was kind of for us as players to work out a little bit rather than go, right, today we're going to do 4 4 2. We're going to be solid to beat, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was kind of more um, work your way around your solutions and problem solving. And knowing that the level you were at with some really you know, senior players within the group, and again, knowing that you've now gone on to the coaching side of things, where do you sit with that in terms of, you know, even as a senior player at 30, 31, 32, and I wasn't, I'm not saying you was that old at that point, by the way. Because um, how rude. Some, no, no, no. Sometimes I think players, there's a, there's a time and a place for how can this be better? And there's, a, there's also a time and a place for we want to be told, you know, we're in the top league of English football outside of like the Super League, you know, tell us what you want. How, how do you try and get that balance that now you've gone on to the, the management side yourself? It, it's, a, it's a tough balance. Um, I've, got, I've got sympathy now, uh, looking back. Um, there's been many a time uh, last season that I've said, like, I don't want to spoon-feed uh, players, if, if you want to use that term. Um, and sometimes they have to work it out for themselves, but on the flip side of that, as a as a player, um, you you want clear direction on what's going to happen on the pitch and different scenarios and how it looks like. It's it's kind of that familiarity, I think, for some going into an unknown and working out a situation on their own might never happen. They might never get to a solution that, and that's where it becomes a sticking point. And then they look to you for answers. Um, so yeah, find find the balance is is tough, um, but you kind of you kind of just have to work through it. You're gonna have scenarios constantly. It's it's never gonna stop. It's just educating players to, on how they can deal with that better when that scenario comes up. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, again, you don't always have to ask questions in order to help people develop. And like you say, some people will develop. You know, by by being told, some people will develop by taking risks and making decisions for themselves. So, like you say, it is a balancing act and it is tough because I think it's fair to say no two people are ever the same. And you might have a certain scenario with a player where she needs telling and there might be a scenario five minutes later where it's a little bit more Q&A-guided discovery. So I, it did make me smile the fact that you said you have sympathy for coaches now. Um in terms of that, now you've gone into the coaching side of it, would you say you've kind of gone in that with a little bit more on the back foot to see the whole scenario rather than going in on the front foot and maybe going too much one way or too much of the other? Yeah, um, I've, I've had to, I think, tread carefully with it because obviously me as a player isn't necessarily going to represent me as a coach or a manager. Um Obviously, I've been around, I've known Jay Bradford for years um, and she's got a wealth of experience um, over myself. Um, so it was always, it was interesting to see how she, she managed players and how she dealt with scenarios because as a, as a player, in response, you'd answer it very differently um, to what I would expect as a coach, if that makes sense. Um I mean, there's been times when I've asked a question of a player and they've given me an answer that I don't necessarily want to hear, but they're right. Um, 
So yeah, the, the balancing act is, is quite difficult. Just on that note that you were talking about having a change of manager with Stuart Wilson to Graham Abercrombie, you also had Joe Hunt, Ron Miller, Dave Stevens. Was it quite disruptive as a team to have such a high turnover of managers? Because there is the argument that each manager kind of brings his own style and it might refresh the group a bit. But on the other side, when you're having so many changes... You almost don't know whether you're coming or going. I think after we won the league, obviously, Graham come in. Um, I think Graham uh, only lasted one season. And then Joe took over. So over that two-year two period, quite a lot had happened. But then after that, um, I'd say that the, the ship was steadied slightly. Um, I think there was the consistency of a manager for, I think, a good four or five seasons then. Um, so that kind of settled that and it, there wasn't too much swapping and changing until the latter years where um, Ron took over then Dave but as I was an older person in the group um, you kind of you can you can guide that slightly and help the young ones deal with that because um, I'm assuming it, it would have been hard for some of those younger players that have seen a couple of faces within a short period of time and as you said they probably didn't know if they were coming or going. And you've spoken about the season with Graham as, quote, a learning curve, which to me, I hope you don't mind me saying, sounds a bit like a euphemism for you not particularly agreeing with his coaching style. Is that a fair assessment? No, I, I, I did like, I like Graham. Um, oh, I wouldn't say it, that's fair. Um, it was just, it was, it was a new experience. It's different coaching style that potentially was, was new. Um, the older players in the group, we were we were quite used to being told what to do. Then being told to think for ourselves was like, well, what's that kind of thing? Like, we not that we had never done it before, but I don't think we'd ever done it to that scale. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a it was meant in that sense. It was just more of a it was a different outlook of how football was coached and how we were expected to implement it on the pitch. But regardless of which way you look at it, he didn't achieve anything close. I know it was only one season, but still didn't achieve anything close to what you managed under Stuart. So clearly something was awry. Yeah, and that could have been for many different reasons. Um, I def- I don't think I'd ever point the the finger at Graham. Um, I think things change, don't they? Like players change, the potential commitments change. There could have been, there's many variables that could have contributed to that. Um, I don't think we had a horrific season from memory, but it definitely wasn't the uh, the heights of what we, we achieved before. And it's, it's quite, I suppose, quite refreshing to see a player defending her coach in, in that way. As players, do you feel a responsibility and a duty towards whichever manager you're playing for to always not just fight for yourself not just fight for each other not just to fight for the shirt but to fight for the manager because as we know and it's certainly something that is becoming more prominent during the the last few years or so that it doesn't take a lot for a manager to lose his job so do do you feel that responsibility yeah I think the ultimately I think there has to be a level of respect if the level of respect isn't there then you know the term goes that you know the manager's lost the dressing room um but yeah, there's definitely got to be a level of respect, and you know that the manager would jump to defence of their players. So I think that players should potentially 
replicate that back and have that respect to if something isn't quite right then defend them as well well let's then talk about when you got the captain's armband was it something that you were expecting and was it something that you felt that you deserved oh i wasn't expecting it at all um i think during that season i, d- I don't think i'd had a i don't think i had a great season um i was in and out of the team i think it was only during pre-season potentially that i'd shown that i was potentially capable of it um Obviously, when you're offered the captain's armband, you, you're never going to say no. Um, well, well, I certainly wouldn't. But yeah, when it was offered, I, I, I couldn't refuse it. And what kind of characteristics do you think were seen within you that made you the right candidate to take the armband? I think just a, a, a just a, an honest player, I think, potentially. I didn't hold any airs or graces or I didn't, I didn't expect kind of all the attention on me. I just, I'd rather just get on the pitch, guide the team, help the team whichever way possible and just help the younger ones through. Uh, I think that season we had quite a few younger players and it was... I'd be, I'd obviously had a lot of experience from previous seasons and clubs um, that I could pass on. Um, but there were, there were other leaders within that team that could have had it as well. And I appreciate this might be a bit of a, a difficult question, to, an awkward question to answer about yourself. But... Having the armband, uh, and certainly leading up to that and, and afterwards, do you see yourself, and do, have you ever seen yourself as a role model? Not really. Not. I don't think. Not until you see um, the younger girls uh, wanting to come up to you and talk to you and speak about football. I think at that point, you know, them wanting to know you um, probably puts me in that bracket. Yes. But as a person, I would never put myself and say uh, I'm a role model for girls' football. Um, but I suppose at the time, yeah, I, I was seen like that. And what kind of captain were you? Were you one of the more vocal ones on the pitch? Or was it more of a case of one of those galvanising people in the dressing room? Or maybe a combination of the two? I think I was, I was a combination of two. Um, there was obviously a time for calm. And there was obviously a time for a rocket and probably see the the other side um but i think i'd like to think that there was there was a balance and i mean there's, there's going to be times when it went over the top one way or it didn't quite come out as it should have um but i'd, I'd like to think i was a, a fair captain to um those that i played with and we're speaking at the top of the program about that steely determination that you'd had from a young age uh, and Ross was also talking about how you were a real aggressive, tough tackler. And so you really had that fight within you. So did that almost make it inevitable that one day you'd become a captain? Potentially, yes. Um, it was never something that I'd go and seek. Um, if if someone felt I deserved it, um, then so be it. it. It wasn't something that I'd go and seek out. I mean, I, I was just, I was happy um, putting a shirt on, starting a game and just going going to do what I did best and that was it really and the, the captaincy was a, just an, an added bonus and do you think that any of the qualities that made you a, a suitable captain and, and a good captain are also the same qualities that you take into coaching with you yeah I think you've, you've got to have that uh, honesty um, especially now talking to players I appreciated honesty when I played so I wouldn't Players don't expect anything less from me. Um, they they know what type of person I am and what player I was. 
Um, so that that wouldn't those me- those messages wouldn't get mixed up. They, they'd contribute. It wouldn't mean that I, I am a good coach. It, it helps along the way. You know, there's there's different qualities that you need to hone as a coach, um, and potentially qualities that you need to tone down as a player that you had to enable you to become a good coach. But yeah, I think it's it, it's helped me out definitely. So if you look at the direction that the how far the women's side of the football club has come at Villa Park over the years from when you first went to where it's at now. That it is like chalk and cheese. Um, but even as somebody as a as a Birmingham City fan playing for Aston Villa, and then you're getting opportunities to play on the pitch at Villa Park. You know when you were playing against other big professional clubs on there, um, men's stadium, etc. When you look back at that. Would they be classed as top highlights within your career? Oh, definitely. I think, um, you know, the opportunities at Villa Park become few and far between. Um, and I actually think, I, I don't think I actually played at Villa Park. I think I was, already, I was always on the bench, funnily enough. Um, so, yeah, to, to have had the opportunity to do that is, is fantastic. Um, and the girls going forward um, that I've played with previously that are now taking a step up, you know, they'll they'll get that opportunity again. Um, and as you said, they could potentially walking out in front of thousands of people. Whereas before, you look at back at the, the club 10 years ago, you'd be lucky if you get one man and his dog. So the vast contract, contrast with the team is, uh, is stark. And do you think that's really key across women's football in total now? And it's something that, you know, if you look over the last couple of seasons, you know, Man City playing Man United in front of 35,000, Tottenham playing at their new stadium in front of 30-odd thousand, you know, opportunities to be able to play at the likes of Villa Parks and Andrews. Do you think now for the women's game to go on to the next level that that's got to be a minimum requirement in terms of the support from the men's club moving forward? Definitely, the women's football have just got to keep breaking those boundaries because... I think I think that's what they are. Um, you know, you, it'd have been unheard of uh, for Man City and Man United to play in front of that many thousands of people. And as you said, when Spurs played, it's if you'd have said to that someone years ago, they'd have, they'd have laughed in your face. Whereas now, you, it's it's happening. It's real. Um, and to continue to do that, clubs, the men's clubs have got to allow the women in. Um, and have that one club kind of ethos. Um, if that doesn't happen, then you still gonna have potentially the divide, and you kind of the club, the women's club, may not get to the level it could do without the support of the men. And then, lastly, from me, you know, we look back at your playing career, Kate, and I think it's fair to say anybody who knows you whether it's personally or played or managed against you you know you're a name who has been around the circuit for a while sorry been around the circuit for a long time you are that one player that opposition probably don't like playing against you but everybody would want you on your team so that young girl who started out at Shenley Radford who's you know now played for her beloved Birmingham City she's played for Villa, she's you know you've you've had so much football success in your career in terms of games played where you've played etc cetera, etc. Cetera. 
at what point then, when it was coming towards the end at Villa, did you think, I need to now start thinking about life after football? Yeah, I think it was, it was purely um, injuries. Um, I mean, I had a back injury towards the, the later part of my career. I think I, I held on for as long as I could. And it was only when that injury started to have effect on on my, my personal life, my home life, my work. Um, I knew that at that point it was kind of time to step away. And I think if I if I hadn't have done that, I'd have potentially put other parts of my life at risk. So like my job, um, I wouldn't have been able to go to work every day. So it's kind of my priorities had to change. Whereas before, um, if I was injury free, my priority was to play football. Whereas that that was coming to an end, and it was being more of a hindrance than what it was an enjoyment. So at that point, I knew that it was uh, it was it was time to hang up the boots. And how easy was it to have that conversation with yourself? You know, in terms of whether it was with friends, whether it was with family, that do you know what? I think now it's time to call it a day. Because as somebody who had to stop playing at a very very young age, you know, I know how difficult that was for me. So for you, did you look back on it going, it's for the best. I've had a good career, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Or did you look and think, well, what am I going to do now? Um, I, I think I had that many arguments with myself over when I was going to do it and what I was going to do. I'd, I'd change my mind like the wind. You know, I'd, I'd have a good day and I thought, well, actually, I can, I can do this if I could train X amount a week, rest that much, I could play. And then I could have another couple of really bad days and it kind of just it dragged you into, like, I can't continue like being like this so it just got to a point where um you know we know it's affecting your work that's bringing in a wage you know that pays your mortgage that you kind of go well you're not going to risk all that for playing football and I think making that decision was tough but you know I was I, was, I think I was only 27 but growing up you, you've got to kind of move the times and realize that there's there's other things after football. It was as tough as it was. And on top of that, it wasn't long before the phone call come from Jay saying, come and get involved with us on the coaching front. You go down there, you, you, you get involved, and then you know, quite quickly you, you're part of a club that's then been promoted from you know, the, the National League as was now um, up into WSL2, which was something that Coventry had been trying to do for... For so many years, obviously, you, you're now starting to experience success on the other side of the table. You know, at that point, that season that you had with Coventry, how nice was it to to almost see everything from the outside looking in, whereas obviously in the past as a player, you'd always been in the middle of everything, but actually taking on board how much involvement goes into winning leagues? Oh, it, for, to see the other side of the coin, it was... It was brilliant and, I mean, Jay, I've, I've known for years and I, I know that the stresses and strains that she's gone through um, with different teams in different leagues and I think the the club had done a lot of work behind the scenes up to this season so it was, it was, it was Will's emotion for years and it was kind of just getting it over the line and just seeing the amount of hard work that went on behind the scenes by the chairman, the staff getting grounds just to get games on 
um, you know, you, you don't see that side as a player. There's, there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes that what a player can see or hear. Um, and, and I think rightly so, that their job is to do the job on the pitch. It's for everyone else to look after anything else off it. And I think also, you know, somebody who I know through football, having worked with for at Birmingham, Joe Potter joined the club the year you got promoted as um, part of the coaching staff. You then get promoted into WSL2, which obviously the euphoria of, you know, playing in front of like eight, 900 at, at the Butts on a Tuesday night against, you know, clubs like Durham and Tottenham and some wonderful, wonderful year, wonderful games this season at a new level. And I know when we had Sue Wood on, she said, you know, even getting into her 30s, she still had so much of a buzz for those first few games in WSL2 because it was something, again, totally different. Stuart Wilson then joins you at Coventry um, and then not long after Christmas, he, he left the football club. So I think he'd only had a handful of games there. We spoke about it earlier this season, about it being a little bit up and down, a bit of a roller coaster. Obviously, Joe's still playing at Reading, so she wasn't at games as much. So you find yourself back in the dugout with Jay. You know, what was the mentality going into those last few games of the season where you're thinking, do you know what, we've got to pull something out of the bag here because we don't want to finish, you know, bottom of the table? Yeah, um, as you said, it, it it swapped and changed quite quite a bit, and you know, um, Joe obviously still playing. Um, obviously, what happened with Stu, and then Jay stepping back in. It was ultimately we just had to stick points on the board, and as much as we wanted to play attractive football and do everything by the book, we knew that ultimately that if we didn't start scoring goals and stop goals going in our own net um we were in danger um and i think we were quite lucky that we 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 got a couple of results that fortunately that, that saved us and then just before i hand back to josh going into next season whenever that resumes do you think that the lessons over the last 12 months from the highs of winning the league to like you say the roller coaster of this year do you think that on the pitch you are in a a better place moving forward to to maybe go and compete in and around mid table and towards the top end of WSL two? Yeah, hundred percent. The the players would have experienced things for the first time last season, regardless of how long they've been playing. They'd have they'd have had scenario situations that we can all learn from. Um, even myself, Jay, everyone at the club. You know, there's there's things that we can all learn from. Um, and we're only going to take that forward with positivity. Um, and we'd like to think coming into this season we'll be, we'll be a little more prepared. Um, obviously, all teams uh, have played each other now and there's no, there was no relegations from our league. Um, obviously, we've got the addition of Liverpool. So everyone's kind of got each other's mark. Um, so, yeah, it'll be out who, who can outsmart each other. But I think the, the lessons that we've learned will, uh, will push us forward. Just to rewind when you were talking to Ross about as your career was winding down and it was that lengthy injury you had that eventually made you realise that you had to call time in your career. And, and just as Ross was saying that he had to, to call time on his playing career through injury, uh, again, from personal experience, I was 13 when I had to stop playing through injury. And for me personally, it was 
having to find things that that were distracting from the hole that football had left that really got me through that and would you say that for you that was what coaching brought for you uh yeah definitely um because obviously you spend so much time preparing uh, as a player you know you, you don't switch off from a game day or training day it's it's constantly there you're always it's always in the forefront of your mind of what you're going to eat that day what you're going to drink that day what you've come up got coming up in the week so all that 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 mental probably activity that's been going on and then if that disappears you know you've there's a pretty much a hole in your head um so the coaching has filled it it's it's helped me a lot um you know but it's this as a coach the amount of preparation that has to go into sessions game day you know you you still don't switch off so it's it's just slightly different mentality wise and had you had the chance to really think about what you wanted to do when you retired? Because just think about it, you're only seven years older than me and I'm certainly, you know, I wouldn't know what, what to do if I suddenly had to pick a new career path seven years down the line. So was was it, again, fortunate for you that, that that coaching offer came at that time? Or did you have any other ideas of, of what you might like to do once your playing career finally ended? Um, well, my, my playing career was... was... Um, never a full-time job so I'd already always managed to juggle something alongside it so it was life was always a hundred miles an hour so kind of yes I've lost a part of it but it still kind of fell back into place with coaching Um, and I've got no doubt potentially if for whatever reason I don't coach anymore something else will fill that void Um, but yeah it's, it's always daunting to begin with but I think if if you really want to fill that space with something productive, you'll you'll find something to do. And is management on the agenda for you at all? Are you just quite content with coaching at the moment? I'm I'm content with coaching at the minute. Um, I'm still in very early days of my career. Um, there's there's people that have been coaching for twenty thirty years more than I have, and they're still learning and probably not being given the opportunity that I've been given. So I think where where I am now, um, I've just got to keep learning as much as I can, be involved as much as I can, and hopefully progress myself as well. And then, if at any point in the future that opportunity arises, then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a decision to make. And how do you think that the coaching techniques of your colleagues at, at Coventry United, you know, with Jay and Joe, how they compare to the male managers that you've had during your career? Because I've spoken to Adrian Clements before, who's manager at one of your former clubs, Leaford Athletic. And I've spoken to him about that, you know, a man managing a women's team and the difference in, in coaching between the two sexes. I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on, on how they compared between seeing firsthand and being colleagues of women, uh, of female coaches, compared to when you've, as a player, had men. For, for me personally, it never, it, it never bothered me. Um, looking back, I don't, I don't think I ever had a female manager um, from memory um, but I, I know for for some players uh, from experience and speaking to them having a male manager is not uncomfortable for them but they're in they're being pushed out of their comfort zone um, whereas a female manager they feel a little bit more at home if they can talk to them and it's more open whereas I think a male they I think they feel that potentially it's a a direction rather than an open conversation 
And just finally, uh, on your abilities as a coach, what do you think, if you had to, to name one thing in particular, is your biggest strength as a coach? What do you think you bring to the table? I wouldn't ask any of the players to do anything that I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. Um, you know, there's been there's drills, there's games that I've done that have been probably mentally tough and physically tough. Um, but I'd, I'd never make them do something that is unreasonable. Um, it's something that I've either done and I know I can cope with and I'm just trying to obviously coach them to be able to deal with it. So, yeah, I think probably just being a fair person like that. OK, so we're going into the, the home straight now, so to speak. So just going to go for a few quick-fire questions with you, Kate. They're not pre-scripted. We've not told you what we're going to be asking you in advance or any of that kind of stuff. It's just stuff that we've picked up on through the course of your journey that you've spoken about so well this afternoon. So, first one, best player you've played with and why? No, I, I definitely think... It'd probably go back to my blues days with, uh, I'd definitely say Heather Schuber, Shubes. I think her technical ability, um, I think she she played like a man. Her technique was spot on. Her game knowledge, her mentality, everything like that. She, she was definitely uh, someone that stood out for me. So the flip side to that then, having played for so many good clubs and against so many good players over the years, who would you say is the best player you've played against? Now, that can either be a direct opponent in the middle of the park where you think, do you know what, every time I play against that, we have a really good battle, it's really, really tough. Or it might be somebody that's playing for an opponent that's just on the pitch at the same time as you, where you're just thinking she's on a different level. Um, I'll probably have a couple, to be fair. Um, G who plays for Chelsea. I remember the first time uh, we played Chelsea in a pre-season friendly. And I think I went to close her down and I think she uh, she skipped past me before I'd even ran at her. It was it was frightening. And the second time we played her in the FA Cup, she was uh, unbelievable. No one could ever get near her. Probably the other one was uh, Casey Chapman. Just, just her tenacity. She was... At times she was just horrible, but she did the ugly things really well and she made it look um, pretty as such. So she'd probably just go and tackle, win the ball and give it away. But she'd look she'd look like she'd, she'd hone that skill to perfection. Person or persons you would say have been the most influential on your career? I'd definitely probably say my dad and my brothers, just because obviously the grounding that... Um, they give me. Um, my dad's always honest. It, we never used to beat around the bush with... If, for instance, I knew I had a bad game, he'd, he'd never tell me because I already knew. Um, so it was, it was all very open and honest conversations kind of thing. Um, and obviously watching my brothers play at, at a decent level, um, I used to watch them see what I could do on the pitch as well. I think that probably included some dodgy tackles. And other than that, I think... I wouldn't like to name any coaches because um, I don't think that would be fair. But I think all coaches have probably give a helping hand at every level I've played at and probably made me the player that I was. If when you do finally come out of football and hopefully that's in many, many years' time, 
what would be the one game that you would say stood out most in the memory? So from your playing days, it's either the most, whether it's the best win, whether it's the most important game, it could even be a defeat. What would be that one game where you'd look and go, that will always be the one game that sticks out for me? So I'll start, I'll start with an odd one. Um, it was a game, it, we, we lost this game 8-1, by the way. It was to uh, Man City. Uh, we played them at home in the FA Cup. And I'll never forget, we'd set up as solid team, bank off, don't let them score early doors. And I remember Chloe Jones, I think she was playing centre-half. And some the player had shot and she handballed it on the line and got sent off. And after that, we just spent the whole rest of the game just running marathons. We couldn't get near them. <laughs> um, another game that I think probably enjoyed the most was we played at Bolmere when it was grass. We played against Man City. This was back in 2010. And it was just an absolute mud bath. Like You couldn't even see the grass. Um, we had to win that game. That was kind of a start of what we'd achieved that season. Um and probably shouldn't tell you this, but we all went out on the Friday night and probably had too many sherbets. Um, and we all knew that we turned up on that Sunday that we had to produce the result. And uh, Carly turned out to score the winning goal. We only won 1-0, but the, uh, the celebrations after that and relief was that we won the game was uh, quite immense. And in the last one, if you had to pick a five-a-side team of players that you've played with to to go down Power League and play against... a a boys' academy side, and that'd be the team where you'd go, do you know what, with this team, we'd go out and we'd we'd more than give them a match. Who would it be and why? The only rules that we will stipulate is you have to give us a formation and you do have to have a goalkeeper. Probably say Jade Richards, Sarah Malin, Shubes, and I need a goalkeeper. I'd have uh, Sue Wood and myself. I'll pick myself because otherwise we're going to be here a while. Not a bad team, that, I must admit. Not a bad team. OK, just one final question. If you had to sum up your playing career in three words, what would they be? Roller coaster, mentally challenging and enjoyable. We'll have that. Excellent stuff. So, Katie Moran, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks for your time. OK, thank you very much for having me. Switch Radio Sport. This is Switch.